This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Today, we have the privilege to visit with Mickey Trapasi. Mickey's the National Coordinator for Health IT at the Department of Health and Human Services. He's got a huge role and an interesting role. By background, he's a brilliant person. He's a, an MIT grad. He's a, a Vassar grad. Also spent time at the Harvard Public Policy School, where I think he graduated from there as well. Uh, he's going to talk to us about the role of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, Mickey, take a moment and talk about the role. What are the big priorities? And talk about your background, too. Okay, sure. Happy to, Scott. And thanks so much for the opportunity. And thank you for the very kind uh, kind introduction. I really appreciate it. So, yeah, the, the Office of National Coordinator was created in 2004 um, by an executive order by then-President Bush and then um, was kind of codified into law in the High Tech Act, which was uh, you know passed under President Obama, um, so we've been around now for you know just uh, just under twenty years, and um, and have been doing a lot of work to uh, to you know get our um, healthcare delivery system to be able to have uh, you know an architecture and technology to enable the flow of information um, to follow the patient where the patient goes, so that. Providers um, have the right information at the right time in the right place to be able to provide the highest quality care that they can provide. So that's you know kind of the high level of what we're doing. Uh, other than what our mission is, um, our priorities uh, you know um, right now are uh, really you know sort of if we think about uh, where we've been in the, over the last you know 10, 12 years with the meaningful use program that I'm sure um, all of your listeners are very familiar with and <laughs> lived through the experience. Um, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time and effort laying down the foundation of electronic health records and and really completely changing an industry, which is you know kind of amazing to think about. Uh, you know, where healthcare was in terms of adoption of health IT back in 2010 something like 10% of providers having electronic health records. Now we're almost, you know, the the the, um, the quotient has basically flipped so that now it's something like 97% of hospitals and over 90% of ambulatory providers have electronic health records and certified electronic health records. So fairly functional um, electronic health records. I don't want to get the argument about, you know, whether they're good or bad. I know, I know there's a lot of difference of opinion out there, um, but, you know, but they are very, they are very functional for sure, compared to you know where we were before, um, and so that now, as we think about our priorities, it's about how do we make the best use of those electronic health records. We've laid the foundation. Now we have to have the opportunity to think about you know how do we want to be able to engage patients in a much more direct um, and facile way. How do we want to be able to have the type of sharing of information between providers that providers have wanted, you know, for years and years and years and haven't been able to get? How do we, you know, sort of um, uh, fulfill the promise of that? Um, and then finally, how do we, um, you know, think about, you know, just reflecting on, you know, the pandemic experience that we're still in? How do we create that public health and medical science infrastructure that builds on that foundation of electronic health records? That uh, you know that again was the promise of all of this when we all started down this path. So those are our priorities. Are you know thinking specifically about how we start to put those pieces in place and let us you know kind of turn the corner now to the best use of these EHR systems now that they are largely in place. Thank you very very much. And and you've had sort of this magnificent career outside of sort of government as well with the Boston Consulting Group, the boards of several different companies and and not for profits. What made you choose to go to work for the for the federal government at this point in your career? Um, 
Yeah, great question. Sometimes, sometimes I wake up um, asking myself that question. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I actually love this job. So this is actually my second, um, my second uh, tour of duty, as it were, um, with the federal government. I, um, in an earlier life, um, you know, I'm I'm old Scott, so you know this is not my first career. Uh, I, in an earlier life, I was a presidential management fellow, just coming out of graduate school, and um, went um, into the um, into the Department of Defense. So I worked in the Pentagon as a federal employee, a civilian. I wasn't military as a civilian. For I entered as a presidential management fellow, which I did for three years, and then I did three more years as a regular civil service uh, employee. So I had six years in the federal government working um, in the in the Air Force. So I worked on the what was called the Air Staff back then, which was the um, the Air Force Chief of Staff's office. Um, in the controller's office, and then moved over to the Secretary of Defense's office, um, working on um, program analysis and evaluation, where we uh, evaluated the Navy and the Marine Corps program. Um, and I spent a lot of time becoming an expert in amphibious warfare. Uh, if you're ever interested in talking about amphibious warfare and over-the-horizon assault um, with the Marine Corps, I, I, I'm your person to talk to about that. Um, so this was my this is my second time in the federal government. So you know, I've always had this interest. I think in the intersection of technology and science and policy and business, um, and so you know, coming out of that experience in the federal government, which I you know, which I just learned a tremendous amount from, and I just love being a federal employee because I feel like um, you know, I feel that sense of mission. I, I know it sounds hokey, um, but I really feel that sense of mission and the and the sort of the pride you take in working um, on the people's business um, and trying to do the best that we can to make government work as effectively as it can to be able to help um, solve people's day-to-day -day problems. Um, and so, you know, I left federal service, went into academia for a while, um, and then, as you noted, um, uh, went to went to BCG, where I got a lot of, you know, sort of expertise and or, or a lot of experience, I should say, just working with businesses and helping to figure out the business problem, and in particular, helping to figure out what do customers want at the end of the day. And one of the things I learned from that experience at BCG is, it, you, is that you have to just be um, so empathetic about what the customer problem is and put yourself in their shoes and then figure out how you're going to solve that customer problem. And, you know, and that's one of the things that, you know, at least has been part of a learning for me that now as I have the second opportunity to be in the federal government, I've, you know, really tried to, you know, sort of, uh, you know, sort of embed that in my thinking of, you know, how do we think about the, you know, the stakeholder problem here, the patient's problem, the provider, what is the hospital's problem that they're trying to solve on a day-to-day -day basis? And how can we help to, you know, have the federal government help um, in the various ways that we can to help solve their problem and be empathetic to what their problem is and help them, you know, sort of um, do what they're going to do that's also aligned with, you know, with the public interest. So I'm, you know, really delighted to be in the in the federal government. I, I think I've been in health IT as, you know, for roughly 20 years. So this was um, in working in that public-private space. I worked a lot with the HIT with the Health IT Policy Committee and the Standards Committee, the Federal Advisory Committee. So I've had a lot of experience working with ONC from the outside, um, and always had interest, you know, in the policy side. So this is, in some ways, is a you know a um, it's a privilege to be able to take this step to you know get behind the federal wall again, as it were, and help to um, you know help to shape uh, you know policy for the next couple of years. Fantastic. And and talk for a moment. Is it is there more political infighting at the Marine Corps? Or the Department of Health and Human Services, which is the nicer people, which is the nicer place. So you don't have to answer that. 
<laughs> um, it's 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 all well-intentioned people who are have the same goal and just might have different approaches to it. <laughs> I, 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 that that is probably a great way of putting it. Yes, thank you. And and when you look at your big priorities this coming year, what are you most excited about? What are the biggest priorities this coming year? Yeah, uh, we have we have a couple of them. Um, you know, first thing I'll mention is Tefka because uh, Tefka is you know something we've got some we've made some tremendous progress in Tefka and we got a um, you know a very important milestone that's coming up. So Tefka, for those who aren't familiar with that, is the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, which I know is a is a mouthful. Um, you know, the the, the federal government and the Congress um, do a lot of things um, really really well. Uh, branding is not one of them. <laughs> so they called this thing the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. Uh, we call it TEFCA. Um, it's really nationwide interoperability. For every hospital and every individual provider out there, I think there's always been the dream and the vision. And, and actually, it's it a part of the ONC vision back in all the way back to 2004, is that we would have a medical internet, right? A nationwide network where I can be in my EHR and I can have some assurance that I can have basic easy exchange of records with other uh, other people who are involved in an individual's care and that the individual will have the confidence that when they show up at the specialist that the records are actually there that that specialist actually has the records and they're uh, making use of the best available information to provide the best you know the best quality of care and that's been you know sort of an enigma for 20 years as we've tried to approach that from different ways um, we are now actually right on the cusp of you know of being able to achieve that vision. So in the 21st Century Cures Act of 2016, it gave direction to ONC to um, create an approach for network of networks interoperability, um, which is you know kind of if you think about the way cell phones work, um, you know you've got Verizon and AT&T and T-Mobile, um, and they connect with each other seamlessly, right? We don't think of those as different networks. I don't worry, Scott, about, oh, are you on T-Mobile? Because if you're on T-Mobile, I'm on Verizon. We're not going to be able to talk. Um, right? We don't want to have that experience. And right now, we have a little bit of that experience right now with the, with the networks that are out there, whether they're state HIEs or some of the national HIEs. They're not fully integrated that gives the user, that customer at the end of the day, whether it's a patient or a provider, the experience of just saying, I'm using whatever I'm using, and I just expect it's going to connect to everything else. And I don't want to worry about it in the background. You know, however that happens, let just let it happen, but it should just connect with everything else. That's what Tefka, that's the promise of Tefka. So we've um been, as I said, it was it was a part of you know the 21st Century Cures Act of 2016. You will note that we are in 2023, <laughs> seven years um, since the passage of the law. Well, six years because it was December of 2016. Um, but you know, we came in uh, you know two years ago, and we we uh, promised ourselves that within a year we were going to make that available to the public. And so on January 18th, 2021, we made available to the public the foundational pieces of TEFCA, which is to say the common agreement, which is the legal terms and conditions of connection and a technical framework for how you would actually have these networks that already exist today and, and some new ones connect with each other. And so that was, you know, just a short year ago that we said, this is now available. We are now, you know, delighted to, um, uh, I, now, I announced this yesterday, the high-tech meeting, but I'll uh, reiterate here um, that we've got a number of organizations who have stepped forward, some of them publicly announced um, their intention to do this, um, to apply to be what's called a QHIN, a Qualified Health Information Network, who are the networks like the AT&Ts and Verizons who will um, allow their users to connect with each other 
in seamless ways to be able to have that experience of nationwide interoperability. So we've got a number of organizations that have applied. And on February 13th, Monday, February 13th, everyone mark, mark your calendar. Um, at 11 a.m., uh, Secretary Becerra is going to host um, an, an announcement uh, meeting um, at the Department of Health and Human Services that will also be live streamed, where we will announce uh, the first group of QHINs whose applications have been approved. And that will mean that they are committing themselves a, they're signing the contract, so they're agreeing to the terms and conditions, the same terms and conditions and legal obligations that, uh, that all the networks will share um, for the sharing of information. Um, and they are committing themselves to implementing it within a year. So in February, that means the 2023, hopefully a number of them will actually bring that live in 2023. So we're doing everything we can to help to facilitate that, help to encourage them um, to bring that live. And that you know um, affords the opportunity to sort of expand our ability to have that nationwide interoperability. So that's one really important, you know, thing that's uh, um, that that uh, that's a priority for this year. The other thing I think is getting people to um, lean forward into the sharing of information using these tools that we're making available. So we've got Tefka, and we also have in in our um, in our certification um, of electronic health record systems, we've required that all of the EHR vendors. Um, make available to their customers, so like hospital customers, ambulatory provider customers, um, what's called a standard fire API. And if you don't, if someone doesn't understand what that, don't worry about it. An API is, you know, what you use on your phone to uh, to call Uber. Um, so it's the app on your phone that you get the Uber. That is required to be made available in their HR systems. With those two things, they have more opportunity to share information. So this year, we want to really push hard to get people to use those tools that they have available to them now. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask you one more question, Mickey, and, and bear with me this question. You've had this magnificent career, and you've done a number of interest, interesting things, and you've dug deep into some of those things. If you're giving advice to this next generation, for example, just talk to a brilliant young person who's been at their job for about a year and a half, and they're sort of ready to switch. They, they sort of think they're ready to switch. And, and the career advice I always got from my parents it was sort of uh, absolute, you better stay at that first job for at least a few years, because that's when you start to learn more, to dig in more, to get more responsibility and so forth. How do you sort of advise people on this concept of sticking where they're at versus making changes as you evolve into a great career? How do you think about those issues, Mickey? And how would you advise a younger person around those, some of those issues? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I certainly, I mean, a couple of things I would say is the first thing is, um, I've, you know, had the privilege of, you know, um, of having some really great experiences in my career. Um, my career is not over. I'm, <laughs> I'm still very much in it. Um, but I've had the, you know, the privilege of having some great opportunities. And I will say, I, you know, I didn't have a game plan. If you look at the things that I've done, it isn't as if I sort of had it all mapped out. Um, and, you know, and indeed, I was very involved in the defense industry, as I pointed out before, and I always used to think, why would anyone do healthcare? Oh, that seems so broken. Um, <laughs> and now here I am, you know, fully in healthcare. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, so I guess, the, you know, the first thing is, um, don't worry about not having a game plan. Um, I think the second thing is, make the most of the opportunity that you're in. And think about, you know, the, in that next step, if that feels like a great next step in terms of how it's going to help you grow and something that is interesting to you, um, then take that next step. And don't worry about what's that going to mean, you know, five years down the road, seven years down the road, because I can assure almost every anyone, if it's, you know, if it's something that feels like it's the right next step, 
and it allows you the opportunity to grow. And it's something that you're really interested in. Um, and it lets you exercise the skills that you want to be able to develop, that good things will come from that. Um, and, you know, I think that's uh, just based on my experience. I feel like, you know, just make that next step a really good next step and you'll, you know, you'll continue to grow and uh, grow and to flourish. And then, you know, the last thing I would, um, I would just say is, uh, and it's kind of, you know, um, going back to something I said earlier is, uh, is, you know, um, relationships with others and deep empathy for other people's issues and problems um, is, is everyone has a customer, right? Whichever, whatever business you're in, even in the government, we have customers. And if you don't have deep empathy for the customer, then you're not going to be, you're not going to succeed. And that's, yeah, I think that's just a core um, part of being successful is to figure out whose problems you're trying to solve, have deep empathy for what their problem is, and then doing everything you can to figure out how you're going to solve those problems using, you know, the businesses and services that, you know, that you have at hand. Mickey, I think that's great advice, and I see the path of your career, and, and why don't I see a lot of common themes through it, but I didn't see an absolute core game plan, but you've had this magnificent career. That's what led me to ask the question. Mickey, thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure to visit with you again. Mickey Tripathi, National Coordinator of Health IT with the Department of Health and Human Services. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Scott. Enjoyed it.